Welcome to episode number 51 of Off the Shelf. Hi, my name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to Off the Shelf. Our goal is to help you to know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Our podcast is primarily directed to followers and former followers like ourselves of William Branham. Message ministers often tell followers of the message that when they run into a passage in the Bible where William Branham's views appear to differ from the clear meaning of Scripture, they should simply put the biblical passage on the shelf and wait for God to reveal it to them. The purpose of this podcast is to take those passages off the shelf and to look at them without message glasses. We have now reached 139 countries with our podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a comment on our website. This week, we are continuing our interview with James Manuel of Cape Town, South Africa. What was the reaction, James, in the church you were in to your espousing the message? Well, that that was a... There was actually a lot of drama. Um, What now happened is Brother Stephen Stain didn't tell his wife that he was going to have himself rebaptized. I told Freddie Iso, so he knew about it, but he kept quiet. And I had to tell my other leaders. And this particular night, we had a prayer meeting. And so, so Brother Stephen said to me, Stephen Stain said to me, you better take my wet clothing with you because I can't take this home. So <laughs> I, I decided to go to prayer meeting with all our wet clothing. So, you know, um, after, after the baptism, I went straight to prayer meeting with all the wet clothing. And then obviously the pastor asked me, what is this big parcel? I said to him, and I called him aside and I told him exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. This is Stan Felix. He looked at me, and like a real dad, he put his arm around me. He didn't condemn me. Um, he, he did not try and persuade me. He just put his arm around me and said to me that what you've done tonight shows to me that you are still searching. Shows to me that you are not entirely happy with what you have at the moment. Um, but it also shows me a sign that there's a lack of faith. You don't really believe that you've been saved. And he put his arms around me and just gave me a bear hug and held me tight and said to me, I'm going to pray for you. Um, he says, I'm disappointed. 
but I'm going to pray for you and I'm not giving up on you. And that's, that's how, you know, that was his reaction to um, what I did that night. We left there and I actually went to sleep at Brother Freddy's place that night. And from there, I took Brother Stevens' wet clothing king the next morning. Um, there was a lot of drama. Two days later, Stephen's wife, I just heard this heavy walking down the passageway. And Stephen's wife actually came into our office uh, area, asked the receptionist where I was, and she walked straight to where I was. And she, with a, with a bag, you know, a sling bag, she just hit me. And, and she said to me, in Afrikaans, she said to me, you hit me manfully. You've, you've deceived my husband. You know, that's all. And she hit me. And I had to run for my life. <laughs> and for about two weeks, I couldn't use the elevator because Stephen's wife came there every morning and she would stand there and wait for me. So I had to go up nine floors of, of stairs and come down nine floors. of. I couldn't use the elevator because I had to, I had to dodge Stephen's wife. Eventually, um, she got her elders from her church, and they, and they were UPC people, United Pentecostal people, or Oneness people. And that was on a Saturday morning, I think two weeks after we were baptized, the elders of that church called us in because um, Shirley was ready to leave Stephen uh, because she felt that she called him a Jesus only. You know, that, that sort of, although the, the UPC is also Jesus only, she called him a Jesus only. And she, she wanted, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So there we sat that morning and I felt, I was about 17 then, and I looked at all these men, old men sitting there and, and they wanting to know from us, what is this new faith? What is this new thing that you are in now? And Stephen was very nervous, you know, he put his nails and just sat and didn't say anything, his eyes twitching. And eventually they looked at me and I, I just had to start talking. You know? And, and I, I remember so well, I started off by asking this one elder, uh, his name was Brother Michaels. I asked him, Brother Michaels, you, you are a father, aren't you? And he said to me, yes. Um, and I said to him, and, and you, you have a son, don't you? He says, yes. I said, but you don't call him son. You call him on his name. And, I, and, and then I tried to explain the baptism, how father is not a name, son is not a name, Holy Ghost is not a name. Those are titles. Um, but the name is Jesus Christ, you know, and, and we were having this chat and I spent that morning talking to those men, everything that Brother Joey printed into our heads. That's, that's what I knew. And, and it, just, it just flowed freely. I was kind of, you know, quite, quite amazed at myself speaking to these men. And they were just sitting looking at me. And eventually they um, said to me, young man, uh, we really admire your courage. 
and they said to Shirley, uh, we don't want any division in families. We don't want families to break up. So we think it's a good thing if you go with your husband. And that is how that, that day I made peace or Shirley made peace with me. We, we sort of asked one another forgiveness and, and we, we became good friends. Stephen remained my friend right to the end. Um, you know, he was, he was really a, a good brother. So this was in when, 1973? That was in 1973, yes. Which is the same year that I came into the message. <laughs> wow. My goodness. Yeah, a lot of water under the bridge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, at that point in time, you started attending a message church? Yes, then it, it was, it took about six months. Um, I, I went back to my church. So they, they, everybody knew I was rebaptized, um, but I was the youth leader in our church. And um, I, was, I was happy there. You know, I didn't want to leave. I um, still went to services as normal. Um, the leaders spoke with me and I, I decided to stay. Freddie, in the meantime, um, also got involved with the message, and by this time he also got um, rebaptized. But he, after he got rebaptized, he left immediately. He went. He went to a message church immediately. I stayed, but one day, Joey came to us again, and he said, "Now that you've you've been baptized, um, he says you you have shown that you don't partake." You don't partake with the mark of the beast. So, um, you know, you can no longer, light and darkness can't walk together. You should leave your denominations and and go to a, to a message church. Those those years, the, the churches were all very small. It was like everybody had church in their homes. The, the pastor would have church in his lounge. And he suggested that I contact Pastor Thomas, and um, go and visit his church. I remember they invited me one Sunday afternoon to um, my first message church service. And the church, I think the service started at about 6, but I was there at 4 p.m. already, standing very excited, you know, to, to see what, what this new faith is all about. Um, and then... Pastor Thomas sent his son because he lived just across the, it, on the Sunday evening, they had a little wall across his home that they kept service. And, and there were like 15, maybe 20 people. So he called his son over to invite me to his home. When I got there, there was a couple of brothers, maybe five or six of them sitting around a coffee table. A whole lot of spoken words uh, strewn across the table. And they were having a discussion. This particular discussion that day was around marriage and divorce. And I remember sitting there and listening to these men. There was no reference to a Bible. In fact, I didn't see a Bible in sight. But the things that these men spoke that day interested me very much. You know, and, and they, they were really talking about the woman. Funny enough, 
how a woman should behave and how um, the world out there looks. And funny that men should speak about these things, but at that time, I had a certain, um, probably a certain need, because I was one of those young men that didn't take any nonsense. I believed that when you're a Christian, you should be different. You couldn't do what you did when you were in the world. And I saw a lot of that going on in the um, church where I was. At the time, when I came into the message, we, um, we were like probably 20 years or so behind America. And we, a lot of Billy Graham movies started surfacing uh, in the country. And in these movies, our, our women folk, the young sisters, uh, didn't wear makeup or earrings or uh, they wore dresses and, and skirts, not uh, slacks, that sort of thing. Um, but then when these Billy Graham movies started um, making its appearance, people started adjusting, you know, saw the young ladies wearing slacks and um, it started with makeup and a bit later on earrings and it just got worse and worse. And I looked at this as a young man and I, and I, I was listening to Brother Joey and I said to myself, well, William Branham must have really been a prophet, not realizing that we're so far behind America. And, you know, just looking at everything Joey was telling us, it made perfect sense to me at the time. Yeah. Um, so, so with that in mind, when the brothers started speaking about the sisters and how they should conduct themselves and how they should not be in the company of men, um, you know, I could have, my, my head was spinning. But I kind of enjoyed the conversation because as a young man, this all made, made good sense to me. Um, you know, if, if, if you're a Christian, you should live holy and you should dress properly. And, you know, that's the way I, my young mind argued at the time. Uh -huh. And, you know, after, after they closed all the books, we left and went to service. And I was quite amazed when I got there. There was, uh, there was no electric guitar or any electrical or electronic instruments. There was just someone with a, a, a normal uh, um, acoustic guitar. But the people were singing as if the roof was coming down. I, I'll never uh, forget it. The first chorus that I ever heard was our, our, our loving chorus, Only Believe, Only Believe, All Things Are Possible, Only Believe. And I just felt that this is what... God has given to us in this generation. James, were you, did you attend the same church for the entire time you were in the message? No, no, Rod. We, um, initially, I attended Pastor Thomas's church, but then things changed after a few months. Um, a young pastor was ordained. Harold Beckett was his name. You, you probably know him. He's, he's a well-known pastor. I've, I've met him before, yeah. Yes. And with Harold Beckett, um, 
he started a completely new thing. He invited all the young men um, for whole night prayer meetings. And I remember we spent every weekend, we used to travel by train um, to Kobe and then um, walk up to the up the mountain into the caves and we would spend the entire Friday night and Saturday night just talking about the message, talking about the exploits of, of William Branham, um, praying. Uh, it was actually, it was, it was a very, very nice experience for me as a young man. I remember on a Sunday morning, we used to come down from the mountain and before even taking a bath or anything, with, with all that weekend sweat and things, we would just go straight into service and um, just turn that service upside down. Um, we used to do this continuously. But then things changed a bit in the message, you know, in those early days. Because Pastor Thomas, um, he, was a, he was a very, very godly man, very humble person. And I cannot remember Pastor Thomas mentioning the name William Branham many, many times. Um, but when we, when we got to, to Harold Beckett's church, you know, William Branham was mentioned probably, and, and not the name William Branham, they would always say the prophet said, the prophet said, the prophet said. Like every sentence would be the prophet said. Um, it's like the prophet said, John 3 verse 16 says, for God so loved the world. Um, the prophet said, you know, and so we became accustomed that everything that you do has got to include the words the prophet said, the prophet said. Um, I stayed with Harold Beckett for a number of years. At, at the time, I changed uh, jobs. I got myself a very nice job. And one, one of the perks of this job was a company car. Harold Beckett in, the early, in his early days didn't own a motor vehicle. Um, so I actually owned a car before him. And I became my pastor's personal um, chauffeur. Uh -huh. I, used to yeah. drive, I used to drive him around. So that's, that's how I got involved in the inner circle. So whenever ministers or anybody comes or he's got to go anywhere, I would be driving him around. And I remember I mean, I've been in the company of men like Morris um, Ungren, Bob Brown, um, um, Brother Lonnie Jenkins. I used to drive Brother Lonnie Jenkins on long distances, you know, to go and preach around the country. Yeah, I knew Lonnie um, well. Yes, yes. And he was a he was a wonderful man, mm -hmm. and um, I, I really liked his his style of preaching as well. But then something funny happened in those early days that that really got me looking at this whole thing again. Um, but not with the not with a critical eye, but just wondering what was going on, because there was this thing with um, marriage and divorce that was making its rounds and the brothers would actually go around to every home they would come they would come to my um, mother and father-in-law's home knock on the door 
and they would ask Brother Pandika, was your wife a virgin when you married her? You know, that, that sort of thing. Oh, my. And yeah, it, 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 it became quite terrible. And then a bit later on, it went a bit further. They would want to know whether you were illegitimate, because if you were illegitimate, you would not make it for the rapture. Wow. You know, um, they went a bit further. You know, there was one or two pastors that came in from the, from the Pentecostal church. And I, I remember both of them had, had disabilities. Um, and they used to say to these men, according to the Levit Levitical law, you are not allowed behind the pulpit because you are disabled. Um, a disabled minister cannot stand behind the pulpit. You know, and all these little things started creeping in slowly. Um, I remember our, our dear brother Joey who brought us into, into the message when I met Crystal. Um, he came to me and, and, and said to me at the time, he said, um, do you know what you're getting yourself into? I said, no. He said, um, why don't you just wait? And um, I said to him, what, what is the problem? He says, well, do you know that that sister has a child? I said to him, I, I, I'm not aware of anything like that. But it, eventually it turns out that it wasn't Crystal's child. It was Crystal's sister's child. Um, but the child was this very close to Crystal. But, you know, that sort of thing went on all the time in the message. Yeah, yeah. I um, remember one day walking up to Harold Beckett because I, I heard some, because I was very close to him. In fact, I became his, his almost his... Um, is confidante, if you know what I mean. I, uh -huh. I, I would sit in and if I hear anything, I would go to him and tell him this is what's happening um, on the ground. And, and I overheard a conversation one day where the, the, the brethren, some of his deacons and some of his elders were actually organizing to overthrow him. So I, I went to his home and I told him, Brother Harold, are you aware that this is happening? And he said, no. I said, well, better open your eyes and go and check what is happening. And then he came back to me. He says, yes, there's these rumors and things. What must he do? And I gave him some advice and things. Harold didn't take my advice. And like a month later, that church split in two. It was very, very ugly. I, you know, that was my first message church uh, split I experienced. In fact, um, guys were standing with, you know, armed with, 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 a, with guns, guys, brothers, deacons were ready to fight one another um, over a church. And that is when I started seeing that there's something not quite right in the message. We try to keep our podcast under 30 minutes, so we will end the interview there for this week. Please come back next week for the continuation of our interview with James Manuel. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening.
Na bo 